Hello, and welcome to PSI Love Rom-Coms, the podcast made with one cup of couples, a dash of destiny, and a whole heap of heart. I'm your host, Allie. My co-host, Mia, is out this week. She's busy gathering up ingredients because for the month of November, we are re-releasing our tastiest episodes for PSI Love Rom-Coms' Thanksgiving podcast, Potluck. That's right. We are reserving up some of our steamiest, freshest, and filling episodes. And the episode that I'd like to bring back to the podcast potluck this week was our Family Stone episode with guest Kevin Porter, host of the Gilmore Guys podcast. Some of my favorite moments in this episode included talking about dating apps and how Letterboxd could be a dating app if you tried hard enough. I love the moment where Mia talks about how this movie is an easier watch in 2020 than 2005 because we are more sympathetic to imperfect female characters now. And because this movie exemplifies my favorite trope, the falling in love with the other brother. Gosh, I love that trope. It's so ridiculous. And it gets me every time. Since this episode came out, I've rewatched this movie twice. Yes, I do not have a life, but I do have a Luke, a Luke Wilson, to watch and enjoy. <laughs> Personally, I think his performance steals this movie for me. So enjoy and know that this Thanksgiving, we are very thankful to you, our lovely listeners. And now, a bit of romance. Two girls on a quest to find which rom-com is the Welcome to PSI Love Rom-Coms, the podcast about cute Neaton, brothers competing, and Diane Keaton. We're your hosts. I'm wow. Mia. <laughs> I'm Allie. <laughs> PSI Love Rom-Coms is a podcast where each week, Mia and I, rom-com experts, take off our glasses, kick off our stilettos, and undo our very tight buns, and get down to answering that question, which rom-com is the best rom-com of all time? This month, we're doing something a little bit special as Mia and I take a closer look at holiday rom-coms. It's missile totally awesome. <laughs> Joining us today is a talented comedian, writer, and podcaster. He's the host of Gilmore Guys, Maisel Goys, Good Christian Fun, and Inside Voices. And if he was in a rom-com, he'd write about his summer romance in Greece on a magical pair of pants that he'd mail to his friends as they spend their first summer apart. You guys, it's the one and only Kevin Porter. Hey. I think maybe if I truly wrote a rom-com, it would be about um, me and Dakota Johnson playing ourselves, finding a common bond and then falling in love <laughs> while taking her down. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be one one option. Do you love well, Dakota Johnson? Well, oh, I, I like her fine. I think uh, we just both share an affinity for calling Ellen out. Is, is oh. maybe what I was thinking. Oh my at. gosh. Shall we pop on over to our first segment called yes. Which Rom-Com Hero Slash Heroine Are You Channeling? In this little segment, we equate the experiences that we've had this week with a famous rom-com hero or heroine. I can start us off this week. This week, I'm channeling Joaquin Phoenix's character, mm -hmm. 
Theodore from her, which I mean, we could argue is, you know, is this a rom-com? Oh, rom-com. Is, <laughs> is, this, is this, you know, a very harrowing tale of romance? You know, uh, we're we're dancing on the line um, a little bit here with this one. But um, the reason why I feel like I'm channeling uh, Theodore is just because I got this like sponsored ad on Instagram for this um relationship app called Relish and I'm not in a relationship but okay. I downloaded the app anyway oh uh just Relish. to like is it for people that love hot dogs like farmers <laughs> like what what's the, what's the angle of this one Yes, it's a very, very uh, niche uh, dating app uh, for people who really prioritize their condiments. Um, you laugh, but we're going to Google this afterwards. And, and that's, it's true. And it's, yes. it is true. And, and I have a strong response, which is I'm not a hot dog lady, so you will not find me on the app. I don't. I just don't like him that much. Right. And you'll find mm-hmm. me on the app Only Buns, where it's just videos of me <laughs> eating the buns with nothing else. With ketchup? Of the, yes, oh, yes with that. ketchup. Yeah, a little mustard. <laughs> Um, but yeah so this this is just like a i guess it's like an app for people in relationships where you like type in you know your love language and your partner's love language and then it like it's basically like a relationship therapist app um oh but i'm not in a relationship so i just like they say like type in your partner's name. So I just like typed in TBD and like, I (laughs) kind of just like put in like my patterns, like that I know that like happen in relationships a lot. And name them, (laughs) Allie. Okay. 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 So it tends, I tend to, you know, not be very demonstrative and not very good at communicating. Um, but I like very, very, like I prize, you know, my love language is definitely acts of service. Um, But I tend to choose, you know, I tend to date people who um, like need a lot of um, uh, they like a lot of communication, a lot of, you know, Mm. affection, which, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) crazy. Why would anybody want that? Um, And so um, it gave us. And then like, so you, you plug in your preferences and your partner's preferences and then like gives you like uh, a percentage of like, or like a bell curve of where your relationship lands and being like healthy or not healthy. Um, what is the whoa. goal of this app? <laughs> it's, 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 to, like, <laughs> it's an E discord. It's not E harmony. It's E <laughs> yeah. out of tune. Oh my God. Cause yeah, that's going to start fights. <laughs> it was, that's, that's what I do wonder is like the app will then tell you like, you need to like work on, you know, apologizing in your relationship or you need to like spend more time telling your partner, you know, positive things like giving them compliments but i do feel like yeah that it would maybe spark more fights than it would actually solve but so far um me and my partner tbd are i don't know we're enjoying it (laughs) wait and also it's a it's like a robot right it's like a it's not a real person it's like an algorithm it's AI. Yeah, it's, a, it's like an but, algorithm, but that's scary. Then that an algorithm is deciding like who's right in a well, conflict. And two, I know it's like, hey Siri, you want to back up? I don't see you in a relationship. <laughs> like this is, you know, humans. When we date, it's actually very hard. You wouldn't know anything about that. But it's also yeah. too, if it's like it could be, like you know how Netflix does the most insane numbers to promote their stuff. We're like, 
89 billion people watched Enola Holmes over the weekend. It's like, <laughs> oh, maybe. So maybe this app, Relish, is doing the same with couples where there's where they're saying like actually according to our data you're in the top one percent of all healthy couples oh that's nice or something you know maybe maybe it's a more optimistic uh scheme or scam uh that they're running that would be nicer at least yeah yeah and you're like walking phoenix because he also used an app and yeah and we, using technology <laughs> as a way TBD. to you know help our yeah i have tbd in my life um yeah. and <laughs> They've been really, I mean, like our relationship right now is, it is failing a little bit, but I feel like. <laughs> oh my God, um, you're fake. You wait, the, the one you had made up for the app is not doing well on the app. It's not, but it's based <laughs> off of, you know, real relationships I've okay. had. So, you okay, know, in my laughter. I rescind okay. my laughter and I'm sorry and I support you. No, 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 no please, please, please. This is, I mean, TBD and I are going to try to make it work. And so I think it's going to be, <laughs> yeah. I think it's going to be good. Um, oh but gosh. yeah, that's who that's I'm channeling. Um, Mia, who are you channeling? Um, okay, this week I am channeling Donna, played by Gwyneth Paltrow in technically Christmas rom-com, View from the Top. Um, oh, <laughs> I, I, I've, I've I've heard this uh, about that movie like maybe 15 years ago. I've never gotten out of my head because that came out like 2002 or three. I want to say I heard someone say more like a view from my ass. (laughs) And I've never in in the intervening 14 years or however long it's been. I've not gotten out of my head. Well, you know, I say it's a fair assessment of the film only because it, as far as rom-coms go, it's very simple. Like there's, uh-huh. there's like one side character story, but for the most part, there's no fun side characters that get together. There's uh, like, and it's Joshua really- Molina's in that, isn't he? Wait, is he? Jo- Wait, Joshua Molina of West Wing fame. Yes. And sports night fame for me. Let me Google yeah. him. No. This is a Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, he is. Yes. Joshua Molina of um, Scandal fame. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh. Yes, I, he's in it. And he's, he's lovely in it. My other big memory of this movie is uh, how, and we never saw it, but how many friends would say, you put the emphasis on the wrong <gasps> syllable. Yes. That was like yes. one of those, when trailers were so much more omnipresent in our lives as younger people, and you just saw more because you'd like, there were just more commercials that you had to watch. Yes. That was one of those like, you got me straight tripping, boo. Like Eugene Levy saying that and bringing down the house. It's like, oh, well, that's, I'll just know that forever. <laughs> I completely forgot where that came from. And I still say it to this day and i was watching it i live in a house oh my god and i live in a household right now where i live i'm, I'm back in um I'm, I'm living with my parents right now um uh, very lucky very fortunate um so i'm just i'm back home hanging out and i live in the house obviously this is why i do this podcast where i just wake up and my mom's like we're watching a rom-com this morning so she just put it wow. on and we're watching it and i was just like oh my god i completely forgot that that's from this movie and it's such an iconic line yes and iconic <laughs> it is so yes, I like, and also I, I enjoyed the movie a lot more than I thought I was going to. Um, it's a really sweet movie, and I'm channeling Donna because Donna in the movie um, does. Uh, she works really, really hard. She feels like a calling to be a, a flight attendant, and she works really hard. And she knows she's going to ace her test, but then um, she gets a horrible score on her flight attendant test, and she gets sent back to Cleveland for a year at Royalty Express, and she doesn't understand, but she decides to make the best of it. Um, and then later we find out, obviously, spoiler, that Christina Applegate's character, Christine, um, switched their tests. But <gasps> No, uh, Christina! Oh, yes. man, I love Applegate. I think she's so <laughs> oh, amazing. 
she's amazing. And so how I am channeling that this week is that I had um, a career thing happen that I've been waiting for for a long time. And um, I was so excited. And the way it happened felt like very kismet. And then um, and then I had this moment where I was like, right where I wanted to be and like things were happening. And I was like, Oh, yeah, I worked so hard. And um, I can't believe I'm sort of like in this position. And then right as I, you know, turn in my metaphoric test, it, uh, it was uh, taken away. And the bottom Mm. fell out. Yeah, so I'm channeling Donna because without going into specifics, yeah, so big, big, shiny career carrot came. I was really excited. I was really afraid it was going to go away. It went away. Um, and then Donna has to go to Cleveland for a year. And she's like, okay, I'm just in the waiting room that is Cleveland. And But she's like, I got a very positive attitude about it. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's me. I was like, I'm like, cool. I'm going to hang out in Portland for a little bit longer. I'm going to like check out the local. That's the where local... you are currently? You're in Portland, Oregon? Yes. Yes. Okay. In Portland, Oregon for the holidays. And um, I was going to oh. be like, oh, because of this work thing, I was going to come back in January. And now I'm like, cool, I can sort of like keep chilling, Um, which is actually kind of like, that's like a relief because I am enjoying being with my family and having their support with my, I got a dog. So having their support with my dog. Um, Yes. So if I had the choice between LA County and Portland, (laughs) Oregon right now, I might uh, (laughs) make a similar decision. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely like afraid to leave my house as it is. So yeah. And and we're recording this in advance, but by the time this comes out, (laughs) Allie and I will have had coronavirus (laughs) i think just the way cases are going oh god it's so scary yeah so i'm now so i'm now like um but i like donna i'm also pretty positive i'm also like okay like minor setback we'll wait for the next thing and i'm just gonna wait in portland oregon and hopefully um spend christmas with mark ruffalo um so that's who i'm in oregon is he an Oregon boy? Probably. Oh. No, he's in the movie, though. He's who she spends um, Christmas with. Um, oh, he's, I see. He's her Cleveland boyfriend who they've, they've got they've got like several serendipitous moments. And so they run into each other again in Cleveland. They have like a really loving relationship. And then she leaves because she she corrects the error and she becomes first class international flight attendant. And she's spending Christmas alone. But then she realizes Cleveland wasn't the waiting oh. room. Cleveland is where she wants to be with my oh, depre- depressing lesson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and her whole thing was she was just a small town girl that wanted to get out, and then she was just like, "Well, back in my comfort, back in zone. my box." <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> all, all of that saying, um, I was yeah. So I was channeling Donna this week. Kevin, who are you channeling? Oh goodness gracious! I'm so glad you asked. Uh, <laughs> I while watching the movie, I did feel. A little bit. And this is such a, this is just a a sneak (laughs) thing because I'm like using the thing that we're going to talk about anyway. But I did feel a little connection to Ben as played by Luke Wilson in the movie. (gasps) Yes. He also like seems exact. There's parts in the movie and I sent it to my friend. I didn't actually send it to my friend, Ben, but I have a friend named Ben who he reminds me of so much uh, in a good way and, and his ability and capacity to kind of just float above it all and be in the midst of some chaos and concerning things. I'll just be like, Hey, you know, it's okay. I think it's fine. Yeah, and, and not get too wrapped up in a negative way to be a rock to, to SJP <laughs> at the end, not the rock, the stone, but you know, to be a stable person. And uh, I, I think that's the kind of energy I would aspire to have in some ways. And I think sometimes there is a few like, 
minor conflict resolution conversations I had this week where I was like, oh, this is definitely my energy right now. It's not to get sucked into a, well, actually I, blah, 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 you know, and I still have moments like that, but I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, I don't see it that way or whatever the case may be. Just kind of like uh, trying to have a cool temperament in the in the technical sense of that word. So I related to him a little bit oh, and maybe as like an aspirational figure. Because if you if you can't handle me at my Dermot Mulroney in the family stone, then you don't deserve me at my bin in the family stone. Yeah. <laughs> or Everett, that's his name, not not Dermot Mulroney. It's, I mean, it's, I, I, it's so fun to say Dermot Mulroney though. Dermot Mulroney. <laughs> Man, he looks like nine different white guys. Yes. I realized that watching the watching the movie oh. today. Yeah. He oh, was wow. I wrote yeah. down budget big. Especially after <laughs> watching him across Sarah Jessica Parker, I'm like, oh, he's like affordable yeah. big. Because big was very I'm at that every time. white guy. It's <laughs> all in me. Dermot Mulroney. <laughs> he almost looked like Logan Lerman and then the other kid whose name I'm forgetting, who was uh, who started oh. Bates Motel. And they looked like the good doctor too. And then he also looked I don't know, he just looks yeah. like yeah. Nine different ones. He doesn't really age. Like he's he's like looks the same. I'm um, sure he's still a snack and a half right now. I I promise oh, you. Oh yeah. He he's oh my god. And I honestly think Dermot Moroni sort of deserves he, more, but I also kind of love his sneaky career. Um, well, does he deserve yeah. more? After watching this, I was like, does he deserve more? <laughs> he does. No, oh, he looks yes, like Colin yes, McLaughlin exactly. too. Yeah, Our Twin Peaks King. Yes. Oh, he does. Also, Sex in the City. He's budget Kyle McLaughlin. He also looks like Mark Harmon now because he's got the gray. Good grief. He's nine white guys. <laughs> well, I think this is a pretty good little transition into our movie discussion. Yes. This week, we watched the 2005 Christmas romantic comedy, The Family Stone. In this film, Everett Stone, played by Dermot Mulroney, brings his serious girlfriend, Meredith Morton, played by Sarah Jessica Parker, to meet his quirky, tight-knit family at Christmas. Her name is <laughs> Meredith Morton? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, rom-coms no. love. Rom-coms <laughs> love alliteration. Okay. Um... Straightless Meredith, feeling she needs backup, asks her sister Julie, played by Claire Danes, to come along, hoping to win the approval of her boyfriend's parents, Sybil, Diane Keaton, and Kelly, Craig T. Nelson, and the rest of the family. Instead, Meredith succeeds only in highlighting her uptight personality and making Everett doubt his intentions. The Family Stone was written and directed by Thomas Bazooka. And, uh, or is it It's pronounced Thomas Bazinga. Bazinga? It's Bazinga. I'm sorry to... Yeah, it's Thomas Bazinga. Yeah. Oh, it's so weird because that's not how it's spelled, but I, I get it. I'm, that, yeah, that, that makes it's, sense. It's Bazinga, Big Bang Theory. That was kind of a tribute to him. Oh, he was friends yes, with yes, the yes. creators of that show, Chuck Lorre. Yes, 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 yes. A nod to the great so when you director. Watch, when you watch Young Sheldon, just know it's part of the Family Stone Extended <laughs> Cinematic Universe. Well, uh, Thomas Bazinga has also directed that classic Selena Gomez vehicle, Monte Carlo, and co wrote a Guernsey Potato Peel System. Society, which is a movie my mom keeps telling me to watch, but I haven't yet. Um, but guys, okay, what are our initial thoughts on this film? And was it any of our first time seeing it? It was my first time watching this movie. <gasps> really? Oh my gosh. It was, I'm yes. so interested. What was the, okay, what's your initial gut reaction seeing it for the first time? Yeah. Well, should I give like, uh, do you want like background on rom-com stuff for me? Or like what, yeah, like my yeah, thoughts yeah, and feelings yeah, on yeah. it? I don't, I don't know what's the yeah. proper context to, I don't know. Like I, um, 
in theory, I love rom-coms. And then so many times when I like, you know what I mean? I want to be a person that sincerely enjoys romantic comedies. And I think I do for the most part. But then also there's so many that I watch and like, maybe it's the hallmarkification of them in the last Mm -hmm. five years where it's like those movies now are just like, they're literally Hallmark movies. I'm not saying they're like Hallmark movies. They just are like, that's where they go now because there's no like middle budget movies anymore uh, because of MCU and IP. But um, like, I want to be someone that loves rom-coms, but I just don't watch a lot of them. But then there's a few that I have watched that just like really left a mark on me. Like I remember there's a, technically it's a rom-com, although it may not seem it given the stars, but as good as it gets, this 1997 Mm -hmm. movie starring Mm -hmm. Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt, not something's got to give, which sounds so similar. (laughs) And also stars (laughs) Jack Nicholson and is also a rom-com between, you know, septuagenarians, but different movie. (laughs) As good as it gets. I remember loving that movie. And I guess it's a rom-com. It's a James L. Brooks movie. Broadcast News, I guess that's a rom-com. I mean, Broadcast News is just... (sighs) Oh, top 10 I mean, like, ever but and, th- and so there were little things i remember seeing serendipity in the theaters with my mom and we just sister. watched it oh yeah mm-hmm. favorite yeah. sexual position <laughs> favorite <laughs> new york moment all that stuff and the annoying little kid on the elevator but um but it's just not something i've like sought out a lot mm-hmm. in my life but i feel like maybe my heart's ready because the other thing and <laughs> the the thing that um I think Family Stone connected uh, for me was five years ago, back in the heyday of Movie Pass, before the 2017 heyday of Movie Pass, the original heyday of Movie Pass. I was seeing pretty much anything because it was it felt free. It wasn't free, obviously, and they took a bath on it. But like, <laughs> I saw in theaters at the La Cunada Eight, The Intern in 2015. Oh, wow. Starring Anne Hathaway and Robert De Niro, which isn't like technically a rom-com unless the romance is between a sweet man and a a sweet, strong, independent, fierce hashtag girl boss. But (laughs) that movie made such a mark on me. And I swear, Allie, Mia, after I finished Family Stone, I queued up scenes from The Intern because I was like, I'm on a roll now, baby. I gotta like... Almost like, do you, I, I don't know if either of you ever do that scene of like uh, that thing of where you fast forward if you own a movie or you try to find the clip on YouTube, you just watch the part that you remember makes you cry from the movie. Almost yeah. to like, just get like skipped to the emotional All the time. reaction of it. But oh my gosh. yeah. And then there's like, you know, a bunch of like mediocre, bad, one, like love actually, I don't know. Like, like things like that where I'm like, what is, what are the, um, what are the Titans of the genre now? And especially now that it's all going to Netflix stuff. I feel like I don't, I don't have a good handle on it. I'm not, I haven't seen to all the boys I left before. I haven't seen, <laughs> I'm going to watch happiest season this weekend. I think <gasps> that's probably a rom-com, but um, yes, it is, it is. Yeah. So I don't know. Like I, I have like a, 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 an affection from a distance with it and I'm definitely not, um, obviously reticent to entertainment that feels predominantly for women. Obviously I'm not reticent to that, but, but just in the sense of like, I don't feel like a sense of ownership or, or, or like, um, belonging, I think sometimes with the genre. 
that some totally. people do. And obviously you two do because you started this podcast. Yeah, we started this podcast because we both love rom-coms, but rom-coms mm-hmm, yeah. are sort of like divisive and a little embarrassing to say something you love. And in terms of like what you're describing of like the hallmarkification of movies, yeah. but then there are some that have an impact. It's like we also talk about it as there are tiers of rom-coms, which are like uh, there, which is, and it's also, that's an expansive genre that's hard to define. So you find that it's like, there are critically acclaimed rom-coms, uh, that are like art. Yeah. But they all came out like 15 years ago. It feels like, like what's a critically acclaimed rom-com from the last 10 years, you know, silver linings playbook is one that was, that was Oscar nommed. Yes. But now it's reviled. I feel like conversationally in the culture. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Is it back, people yeah. reviled? That's Jennifer Lawrence backlash. It's Cooper backlash. It's also David O. Russell is a yeah. full-on creep backlash, yeah. which yeah. is more than fair. Um, but yeah, I, it's interesting too. You said, Mia, that like it's embarrassing to like rom-coms or like traditionally it's been that way. And I, I don't know if I agree with that anymore because of how disparate and niche all of entertainment feels now where there doesn't there really is no center to it are you guys familiar with the term poptimism no No. poptimism it's like it's like music critic bullshit but it's basically the term describing the idea like pop music is as deserving of thought and critique and like essay and, and and literacy and and discourse as much as Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club, Club Band by the Beatles or, you know, Bob Dylan or Joni Mitchell, like the people that you would think of like, oh, those are our capital A artists. Mm-hmm. Optimism is the idea of like, you know what? Oops, I did it again is just as worthy of that. Carly Rae Jepsen is just as worthy of that. The things that like culture has told you is kind of disposable fluff is actually as worthy of your attention and your thoughtfulness as those things of like Citizen Kane or or the Godfather, whatever the case may be. And I feel like something has kind of happened to that culturally with, um, well, with everything, but I think it extends to romantic comedies as well, especially as like, now romantic comedies are, there's almost like a high art to it where it's like the happiest season is is like a movie for adults. It's like, oh, thank God, one for us and it's queer, you know, like like it's, yeah. it's almost like transformed in our lifetimes. Like we remember when there were just like 20 that would come out in a, in a given year, like at a movie theater. Now it's like, well, they, they're definitely not coming out now. Uh, so like now there's like, there's, there's a preciousness to it that makes it even more, um, I don't know. I think valued. I think people put more value to it now. So, so I don't know if it's embarrassing, especially like, especially with like gender expression stuff too. And that people are not so in their heads about like, this is for chicks and this is for dudes. Like, I feel like so much of that has gone away too. Yeah. The big thing that we talk about too, is that like, this is a genre, rom-coms tend to get a bad rap and I think are sometimes unfairly judged because it is seen as like, oh, this is like a a woman genre and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then in terms of like, you, you mentioned like, um, rom-coms kind of, uh, you know, like w- when is the next, you know, like the classic rom-coms aren't coming out, you know, as much as they used to. And I think it's just because like for a while they just weren't profitable, you know, in studios, like you'd see a lot of like Catherine Heigl rom-coms and they were very like mm-hmm. inclusive, um, and very like, 
uh, white and straight. And now we're kind of seeing like, I would say a renaissance, I'll say it, a renaissance in rom-com yes. where like, wow, she we're said getting it. more, she I'm it. saying it, um, <laughs> we're seeing more rom-coms going straight to streaming. And so like, we're seeing people like Netflix kind of, um, like reinvent the genre at like with um, Hulu's Happiest Season. Um, oh, uh, or Palm Springs. Or Hulu's Palm Springs. Or doing a lot of good work with Ralph. Or yeah. to all the boys I've loved before. We have like our first kind of like Asi- young Asian lead, which is really exciting. And so like, I'd mm. say that Ralph are going baby. through a renaissance. I think it's so, I, we're so, it's, I'm sorry, we're so off of Family Snow, but I just think it's so interesting <laughs> in the sense too about like the profitability of it. The uh, you guys remember the rom com The Proposal from two thousand nine? Of course, Sandra Bullock. That movie was made for forty million dollars. It made three hundred and seventeen million dollars. And even The Intern, which came out six years later in twenty fifteen, that was made for a smaller amount of money, or maybe a small. I don't know. Nancy Myers is also like low key an auteur in a way where it's like, how did you spend that much money? No, it was made for forty four million dollars. It made $194 million globally. So like they are profitable, but the profits are just not enough for the studios. Cause it's like, well, if we can't spend 300 million to make a billion and a half, it's not worth it. Like those margins are not like Nancy Myers-esque margins are not worth it. It's, it's because I, I think they because when you have action movies, it's easier to um, like distribute those internationally. So they're not only making a national profit, but like it's really easy to translate an action movie into another language. Not a lot, you know, gets lost in translation versus mm-hmm. like it's a lot harder to like translate romantic comedy, specifically the comedy point into yeah. another yeah, language. Just so in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. it's just not as. <laughs> profitable like german people aren't going to be laughing at the intern in the same way that you know um americans and they would. should be we want those germans to laugh they've been through a lot. <laughs> they, need, they need a good laugh but yeah. here, here here's my optimistic take and then maybe we can like i'm, I'm sorry i've gotten us so <laughs> off track i think it's all interesting but like so as of recording this this week the news came out that hbo max is going to put everything or WB <gasps> Warner brothers is going to put yeah. everything that they put out theatrically on HBO max, the streaming service, the same day for no additional like VOD <laughs> charge or like an extra wow. rental fee. It's just going to be like suicide squad will come out on HBO max the same day. It does in theaters. Matrix four will come out the same day as it does in theaters. Godzilla versus King Kong, all these like huge movies that like they're probably leaving billions of dollars on the table to drive mm-hmm. up subscription revenue because HBO Max was a soft launch and it's not doing as well as they wanted to and AT&T owns it. But I think the bright side of that is that I would imagine my optimistic hope and take is that over like over the next five years or so, or maybe less, like it's all happened way quicker than any of us would have thought. I think it all get flattened out. So you might see all those like big boy budgets for the big summer movies that need to do well in China, like the budgets diminish as like the profitability of it theatrically goes down. So then we do get back to more of a middle thing where it's like, oh, they made Palm Springs for literally like $2 million. They made Happiest Season for $7 million. And the the value of those will not be significantly different than the value of the Suicide Squad coming out next summer. Yeah, so yeah. if that's the case, then it might be like really good news for rom-coms and for movies like this, because then the studios will be like, 
Well, if it's not different and we're going to make basically the same money, I guess we can make the one for $30 million. We can let Nancy Myers do a trilogy about kitchens or whatever oh, she wants thank to goodness. do. I would, yes. lo- I would watch that. Give like, us that. <laughs> Nancy Myers, just like uh, <laughs> a series about but billowy I- linen drapes. That would rock. That would rock so hard. But I'm so I'm excited about like that part of the like as much as I miss theaters and like that's one of the number one things I miss most during um, during this time. And like that kind of like sense of community and all the stuff I'm sure you guys have talked about before on this show. But like Mm -hmm. I think I think it might be a net positive for this genre in particular. No, totally. And I think about it almost like this bell curve where it's like the rom-coms you're thinking of that are like, are those classics? Like when Harry met Sally, um, dirty dancing, like ones that really like were at the beginning, like, um, a lot of those ones invented the tropes Mm -hmm. that then the studio, it seems like then the studio system took on and were like, rom-coms must have these tropes. So then when scripts would go through the studio system, they would get, um, really structured heavily. And I think that's where it's like people, we came to view rom-coms as a negative and like formulaic and obviously like the gendered nature of it. Also, yeah, I think drew ire. But then now because rom-coms have been almost forced outside of a studio system is how we're seeing rom-coms break the mold and this new renaissance of really interesting different rom-coms um, yeah. that is reinventing the genre. Um, yes. I yes. think it's about to be and, a very exciting time for rom-coms is what I'm saying. That's my optimistic <laughs> take. Like it'll get out of like the sort of... Um, <laughs> the basic cable purgatory of Hallmark stuff. And I think, I think more streamers because the happiest season was like an event last weekend. Mm-hmm. Everyone on my timeline oh. was talking about that. There was so much discourse. I think it did exactly what Hulu wanted it to do. Like best case scenario. It probably exceeded their expectations. Totally. Just like it was like, yeah, I saw something crazy. that was like their most watched movie or something yeah. like in one oh, day, really wow. something, something very like high like that. So it's all like, it's always going to be money that dictates these decisions. And if the money makes sense, they'll, they'll make more of these. We'll see the even happier season or whatever. <laughs> yes, please, please. I, I actually like miss, I, that was one of those ones that I was ready to be in the world and I savored it. Cause I was like, I don't, and then that, when it ended, I was sad to be out of the world of that oh, movie. Man. Um, but, um, okay. So Kevin, first time. What, First, how do you like feel it, about it? Love it. I, I, I was on a FaceTime call with two friends last night and I said, oh, interesting. You guys called me during Family Stone. And their, <laughs> their reaction was, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? I, uh, and they were like, well, just watch it. Just watch it. And then I texted my friend, another friend of mine. I said, I'm going to watch the Family Stone tonight. And she screamed, no, it's so bad. <laughs> OMG. <laughs> oh, it's really that was, It's very that was my context getting into it. And overall, oh, wow. I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. I don't letterbox. Are you letterbox? Um, I almost said letterbox babes. I was looking for a, <laughs> an alliteration. But, but that's funny. <laughs> I, you know, I just got Goodreads, so I think I'm going to work up, but I will get letterbox. Okay. Allie, do you have one? That's the app where you like put down what you've watched. Yeah, essentially a media diary. You can log the movies you watch, when you watch them, your star rating, and maybe give a little review if you want to as well. It's basically good reads for movies. And to answer the question, is it a dating app? Uh, the answer is <laughs> anything is a dating app if you want it bad enough. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> people can That's like slide I, into your letterbox and DMs and be like, I also actually, like actually no, no, there are no DMs on letterbox, but I love that. I guess I'm just speaking to the fact of I know of at least a couple of people who met via letterbox, which I think is <gasps> so interesting. <laughs> Wait, it's real. How? It's real. I mean, let's where where that is this is the our public square now, friends, is like Instagram, Twitter, podcast, yeah. letterbox, Goodreads, and live journal. <laughs> I'm gonna I'll I'll take a hard turn in this conversation. Um so this is um this was the first time I've seen the family stone. I didn't mm-hmm. have the same like kind of like priming that um you know Kevin had from his friends screaming, No, how dare you? Like, don't watch this movie. Nobody told me if this movie was gonna be good or not. Um and you know what? I liked it. Yay! I liked it. I liked, I liked it. it too. Yeah. I liked it. I thought, you know, it was very silly. Like that scene where they like as soon as you see Sarah Jessica Parker putting two f- tins full of egg, like <laughs> liquidy, liquidy egg into the fridge. I'm like, oh, God, no. I hope she doesn't know that's the gun that's going to go off in X3. <laughs> and man, I was not disappointed. Chicago's I mean, can you, can you beat yeah. Diane Keaton, Rachel McAdams and Sarah Jessica Parker spilling egg all over themselves and falling over on the floor? Like, I think that's cinema at its greatest. That's um, cinema. Thank you. Yeah. That's actually yes. cinema. Also, Rachel McAdams is like, has she ever been more beautiful than she is in this movie? Oh I mean, my God, she's never stunning. Not. Yeah, she's so She's beautiful. incredible in this movie mm-hmm. with her little wired rim glasses and oh her like, God. and her kind of grunge style. Yes. I would like to talk about how this movie is five movies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yes. much. It's so much. I'll jump in and say, this is maybe my fifth time seeing the movie. And... Here's, I have a theory oh on why <laughs> I know and I'll circle back to the multiple movies because but this will be a bit of a walk but I have a theory for why you guys as first timers and why Kevin you were warned it was going to be bad and why you both end up liking it and I think it's because this movie is an easier watch in 2020 than it was in 2005 because mm. I think it got um, in, a, in a time that was more universally critical of women the character of Meredith was widely reviewed as like shrill and uptight and I think um, under a 2020 lens it's easier to see her as a woman who is triggered right this is just like mm. a woman who is at her worst and is oh, triggered I don't know if I, I, way, had, but I like this read <laughs> I, I saw her I as like, like a woman with severe anxiety who was put in probably you know an experience that we all have meeting like in-laws and whatnot or meeting you know future in-laws and like a woman with anxiety put in a very highly stressful situation yeah a lot that is very relatable and very accessible Uh, i will say whatever anxiety i've ever had in the past has not triggered me doubling down on homophobia uh And that's 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 such the 2005 element of it that it's like for anyone to be that offensive (laughs) like i mean unless it's like you have a specific upbringing it's yeah it's so interesting also the um i think this was a tweet going around but like there's a certain kind of interracial male gay couple that was so chic in media (laughs) at this time where it was like a guy that looks like thad 
in the movie, and then a black man who looks like his uh, his partner Patrick in the movie as well. Because that was that was um, uh, what's his name from Six Feet Under, Michael C. Hall and his partner in Six Feet Under, and there was like. There was like two or three others. There was just like a meme going around. But I was like, yeah, I guess casting directors were just into this look. For <laughs> yeah. Very yeah. Yeah. I also thought that was an interesting couple because it was like on the one hand, like rom-coms love to like fill out a certain like, um, we did it. We have like representation on the, in the side characters. But I also thought that this this couple did have like depth and like it was they yeah I thought they were such interesting characters um just in the way that the family felt so real and so many characters and and so 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 the last thing I'll say before bringing it back to the it's five different movies is that so every time I watch this movie I feel like I learn I get more and more about the movie like I the first time I watched it I didn't like it I thought it fell under my tears of like the bad rom-coms I like to watch, which is I'm like, oh, this is a rom-com about about bad people. And then I watched it a few years ago and I'm like, oh, this is a rom-com about a triggered woman. And then this time I watched it, I was like, this is a rom-com about a family who's going through grief. And so they're all being this way. So it's like the reason everyone is so awful is because people are grieving and they don't know how to handle it. And and the reason people are so scared it's like that's why everyone is is showing sort of like their worst selves and that the reason why Everett's trying to like date marry someone who's clearly wrong for him and then I and then I, I always look at it as like it's probably just Meredith's like worst worst setting for whatever her triggers are man yeah. um, Mia I mean Mia dropped the letterbox link come on now I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is film criticism this is discourse yes. that we're experiencing well, <laughs> right now well, I and I, I just think it's so interesting, right? To hear it's like it's like yeah. Initially, people are like, and it's it was billed as a, a rom com, a Christmas rom com, and we know what to expect from Christmas rom coms, and it's so much more heart wrenching and, and painful and uncomfortable than a mm-hmm. classic Christmas rom com. So I think people were like, skip, bad, painful. But then the well, more you watch it, the more layers there are. There's a little bit of schizophrenia with it, though. I think where it mm-hmm. wants to be. Um, a couple of things. It feels like sometimes it does want to be just a, a a quiet human melodrama that in another universe could be an Oscar contender because it's actually about it's like ordinary people, but at Christmas or something. Yeah. And then there's also yeah. the part where it's like, like the brothers are like, "Why I ought to do yeah, like that music plays, you know, like it's both of those at the same time for some reason. And there's like very tender moments with everyone and all the actors well except for maybe are all are all not nine white guys dermot mulroney but i feel like everyone's <laughs> doing great and doing their best even like seeing a, a younger elizabeth reeser pre haunting of hill house was such a oh delight. my god i love her i love yeah. her and correct nelson there's just, there's just so many tinder it feels like diane keaton and and nelson are like when they made this movie they were in this zone of like they will just never be bad it doesn't matter like what the movie is but they just cannot like him tenderly kissing his deaf gay son it's just like it made me cry like i don't know just stuff like that like i i shed a few tears watching this movie oh diane looking into his eyes and saying i'm scared and then and then they kiss in in bed and it's just really sweet and beautiful oh my god i know Old, when, old when love. She, I think that's a sensitive uh, mm-hmm. spot for me. Like seeing tender old love, like older oh. people in love expressing yeah. that to each other. 
Same. My moment was the photo moment when Meredith, who's on such horrible terms with everybody, gives everybody the most meaningful photo without knowing it. And Diane Keaton looks at her daughter, who's clearly so angry. And she's like, it's me and you, kid. I'm just like, pain. Yeah, it's like hot tears spilling in that moment. <laughs> that's, that's what's so interesting to, about this movie to me, because there's like a good 30 to 40 percent of, of this that's like, wow, what an interesting, complicated, everyone's bringing their A game and doing their best. And then there's like another part where it's like, what are we doing now? Okay, now we're at a bar. Now we're (laughs) like, there's like a, there is a sort of like schizophrenic tone to the movie. That's like, that's why I like this movie because it was never dull to watch. It was always fun to watch, but I was like not on board in a spiritual way for all of it at the same time. No, you're so right. The tonal shifts are, yeah, they dance between melodrama and like kind of like slapstick comedy at times. Um, But yeah, I think, uh, I think landing where you've landed, I, I agree with you where it's like, it was definitely entertaining. Like it wasn't, you know, uh, it wasn't like high art, but it was definitely entertaining art. And um, just like a quick little fun fact that I thought was uh, surprising was that uh, Sarah Jessica Parker was nominated for a Golden Globe for well, her performance. I mean, in this the Golden movie. Globes are famously the most reputable <laughs> awards in the world. It's like I mean, I'd say it's nothing to like, you know, sneeze at, but like it, um, it, still, I was like, I did her, her performance was, um, I mean, her like uptight it was it did not deserve a golden globe but um i just thought that was kind of surprising it was for me it was an interesting casting choice just because and it is like comically it's like jerry and parks and rec how much everyone hates her at the beginning where it's like okay lay off like calm down (laughs) ever literally everyone and then some parts it's like oh yeah i get this yeah i get the yeah if you're looking at the black guy to indicate black like i understand that but um also, I think maybe just because like I've never really watched Sex in the City and I don't have that much of a relationship with SJP's work. So for me, it's like, oh, yeah, right, right, right. She's kind of annoying, right? Like that's my concept of her. And this movie's like, yeah, she's super annoying. I'm like, yeah, OK, got it. Great. <laughs> so for me, it's like, yeah, that's what we all know SJP as is like an annoying person. Which <laughs> yeah. If, obviously, that's like not the case. Yeah. If your references for Sarah Jessica Parker are like Family Stone and First Wives Club, you would be like, oh, she plays <laughs> terrible people. Yeah. yeah. But oh, no, Carrie on Sex in the City is, I mean, while you get frustrated it's, with her, she's the most, she's, she's very likable. She's incredible. Yeah. And her style is, wow. Uh, just to quickly, I just, uh, before we move on from, Sarah Jessica Parker's character because there are uh, so many characters in this movie. <laughs> um, what I, just from like a rom-com perspective, I feel like her role is um, she's playing the kind of like typical trope of like one dimensional ex. Like I got a kind of vibe from her of like uptight, like businessy woman who like doesn't have time for Christmas or love. And I thought what was interesting about this movie is they, you know, they actually took the time to show that like, She's not a one-dimensional ex, but with the right person, like, yeah, she has more, like, dimensions to her. And I thought that that was um, 
I, I liked that. I thought it was very beautiful. Yeah, I think that's a nice twist because she's definitely, yeah, she is absolutely the classic Hallmark heroine of like, she's from the city and she needs like <laughs> hometown loving to straighten her out. Like, yeah, she's yeah. fully that. But then it's not even necessarily that. It's just, oh, like th- this guy doesn't love her. <laughs> like, it's just, oh, this person is not... Um, it's not what he actually wants. I feel like that was weirdly the most resonant part of the movie for me. And maybe it's just like, I don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure it's personal projection, but Diane Keaton's Sybil's conversation with Everett when he comes down in the morning and, and she's sick and he's crying and she's, she's like, is very intimate, like very intimate touch. Again, she just cannot be bad in a movie. Mm -hmm. She's so good. But the, like, and her just like, putting her head to his head and saying like, I don't want you to do something that you don't want, which I feel like in many ways we can all resonate at least with that idea, even in this very broad movie, the idea of like, wait, what do I want? What am I doing? Is this, why is this a good match or not? Have I, have I assumed things about the person I am? Do I like the idea of this more than I like this? Do I like the idea of this person more than I like this person or the idea of myself. Yeah. And I think calling yeah. that out with like a mother's urgency too. And like the life and death stakes of, I'm not going to see this. So before I go, like, I can't, I'm not going to be able to speak into this very soon. So I would like to impart this to you. It's very touching, yeah. very moving. You're so right. And I'm about to undermine the scene, but I was, mm. I was a little distracted by Dermot Mulroney's crying in it just because um, oh, he's, he's, yeah, it's I've, not, I've no. never seen him exude that much emotion in his life and so I was no. a little bit like like an open mouth <laughs> cry um, and I felt like you know that's a kind of cry for like uh, you know a very like I don't know like your son just died not like a, your mom told you not to marry this woman kind of cry, but it was, uh, well, well, I guess she I was mean, saying I'm, in, uh, I'm dying. So, but in his defense, that's how I cried when my mom told me not to marry a woman on Christmas morning. <laughs> so, like, I, and I don't mean to disrespect your perspective, but that's just my own anecdotal well, experience. That, so. that is really fair. That's fair. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, I, th- that scene was impactful. Um, I think what for me, which I get, it's like, I feel like I get more every time I watch it. And I think what eventually the last two viewings revealed to me, which I was like, Oh, Everett wants to get the stone. He wants to be able to get the stone from his mom while she's alive and, and propose. And that's, that's what this is about for him. I think is about, and, and also thinking that if he does that, he, he, he can prevent her death or he can not like not, not, not have her there for that. And then I think also seeing, I don't know if like, um, going back to what you were saying, Allie, about seeing Jessica, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker with Luke Wilson and seeing what being with the right person can do for someone and what a great message that is. It's like, I think the whole film becomes so empathetic because the family is so mean to her, but I don't know if you guys have ever had a sibling who's trying to force the wrong partner. It's so painful for a family to know someone's making a mistake and to, and then for the mom to know he's making this mistake because of his grief and everyone's like, we don't want you to make this mistake. And it's a, it's a mistake for Sarah Jessica Parker, too. It's making her be her absolute worst self. Like, And then watching how she changes when she's with Luke Wilson. And to also when Luke Wilson tells her about the dream he had about her. And at first you think it's like a dirty joke. But then he sees her as a little girl snoveling, shoveling snow in front of their house. <sighs> and so I'm beautiful. like, that is so tender. That is so love. And it's that he sees 
the ch- like the hurt child in her that's triggered and he's like uh yeah i was i thought that was just so much more emotional and tender than it had to be when he's like i was the snow i mean that's almost like uh, yeah no i mean that's what's so fascinating about this movie is like all of that is true and like whether <laughs> chuck uh chuck bazinga or whatever his name is like had that in mind when writing the script or not it's all there everything you're talking yeah. about is like fully there in it it's not a stretch to like to read that from the movie. And at the same time, it's also just like, (laughs) it just feels like the broadest, most insane, even with the Claire Danes edition and what feels like, you know, an hour and a half into the movie. (laughs) I was like, okay, so Mulroney like had an affair with her and that's going to come out. Like I thought they had a history of like, well, we actually slept together one time and now we're reckoning with that or something. And, And then nothing really came of that other than like, I guess I'm in love with you from this one conversation about totem poles. Oh, yeah, which uh, I don't love. I don't love that totem pole. Oh, no. Gosh. And the fact that, um, yeah, that everyone, everyone's trauma is fully healed by the next year, where it's like, <laughs> yeah. people has passed away, and you're on these, like, insanely weird new relationships with this image, these two image families, and everyone's like, sup, Merry Christmas, man. <laughs> like, oh everyone's God. just like... Fully cool with it. Maybe the, maybe the death was helpful in that process. So I don't know. Everyone came together, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. I think you're so right that it just it keeps coming back to that point of like, it feels like five movies in one. And mm-hmm. so like, I feel like there were these beautiful moments and these like nice truths that, you know, Chuck Bazinga hit on. But like, mm-hmm. <laughs> because they, you know... It was five movies in one. They just didn't have the time to like yeah. develop those relationships that needed to be developed, which is why the like Dermot Mulroney and Claire Danes relationship seemed insane. <laughs> Who would ever, ever agree to go on a date with your sister's basically ex-fiance like the night of. <laughs> the yeah. night of their breakup she's a it's psycho a- <laughs> for yes yeah. putting herself in that position he's a psycho for wanting it like that yeah. that's the thing yeah. especially and with I- sister swapping and stuff you Same. wait years <laughs> to do that i, I know plenty of people sister, have done that no as but, a sister i would yeah. have a very difficult time ever seeing somebody i think that is such an insane boundary that i would never want to be a part of <laughs> of course yes that's it's so insane do you feel like um do you feel like because uh, because the way we're talking about industry stuff now in parts that may or may not be cut out of the episode do you feel like (laughs) this would work better like how would you feel about this if this was instead of a uh 100 minute movie how would you feel about it if it was a six-part series on netflix or something Mm. would it be better would it be worse like really drawn out like over the years oh yeah it could be like like it could be series like a family drama miniseries yeah like it could be the first three episodes are christmas one and then the last three are christmas two or something yeah i don't know like something where it's like all this stuff where it feels so rushed that claire danes and mulroney are in love because of a totem pole metaphor like you could (laughs) you could build that out you could build out like the grief of 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 the loss of Sybil, you could build out her relationship with uh, Craig T. Nelson with Coach. Um, you could just you would have more time to do all that stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Would it be I, better? I so I had that thought while we were talking about it. I was actually like, should this be? Because I had that thoughts with a, like a lot of a lot of different things, like the Harry Potter movies. I'm like, make them an HBO uh, 
like Game of Thrones. Oh. <laughs> and they like will. Fun. They will in like 20 years, I promise you. Yeah, absolutely. You. And I look but forward to that. But it's also starring Johnny Depp for some reason. Please, no. <laughs> <laughs> Get him out of there. Um, but with You this, know what? They should do it, but it stars Elliot Page as Dumbledore as a big yes! fuck to J.K. <gasps> oh, there for it. Yes. Um, but with this, here's what I think. Because my thought is like, of course, it would be better. It would be, you know, like you'd have more time, blah, blah, blah. But, but for me, I look at this movie as a perfect mistake, right? Like this movie <laughs> is a mistake. And, but it's like, and if you watch it one, like one, if you watch it once in 2005, I don't think you like this movie. But first of all, if you watch it in 2020, when culture has changed, I think you like it a little more. And the more you watch it, I mean, watching this movie, knowing Diane Keaton is dying from the beginning is so different. Like the first time I watched it, I didn't realize she was dying until um, like not even by the time the dad and Luke Wilson are smoking weed. I still didn't realize she was dying then. I didn't know she was dying until um, maybe Everett. Maybe when her and Everett have the conversation in the kitchen. Whoa, oh my gosh. Yeah, so I was, and I was younger. I was, I, I was fifteen years old. So like, so so like, when you saw her mastectomy scars, you were like, "Oh, she got cut up pretty bad." Wonder what that's about. I don't even think I really knew what a mastectomy scar was. So I was like, still confused. Oh, wow. I was like, oh, man. I think I vaguely knew, but I was like, "Oh, weird. Where's her boob? Why did they show this? Oh, did she have surgery?" And at that point, I just thought that she had had breast cancer, right? Like I had just from oh. context clues been like, "Oh, she had breast cancer." And she's like insecure about her breasts or something. Like I was my read. Was so <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you like doing your taxes while you're watching this movie? No, I think I saw it in theaters. I think I saw it in theaters. Well, then you oh must have been how old when it came out in 2005? So 15 years ago, I'm 13 or 14. Yeah. So. so- so you know a little mm-hmm. about the world. You're not a child. <laughs> yeah. Like I knew but she had already... had breast cancer. Yes. It, like it was the first time I had seen, a mis- like I think it was the first time I'd visual, I'd heard of mastectomy scars, but it was the first time I'd seen okay. one. And so I was yeah. like, okay, that's what that is. But I wasn't but positive. I was like, did point, I see it wrong? Oh my gosh. We do <laughs> need to have a, or y'all need to have a conversation on this show about <laughs> the two PG-13 rom-coms in which Dan Keaton shows boobs, but they're rated <laughs> PG-13. And how disrespectful that is. I think there's the Bush in it. I think there's Bush in... Um, Something's Gotta Give. Something's Gotta Give, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Which, like, also, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's low-key so insulting that it the is, MPA is like oh, you know no one cares about this like <laughs> yeah it is it's serious like I remember I also saw that in theaters when I was like around that age probably whenever it came mm-hmm. out and I remember also being like stunned to see a little bit of Diane Keaton's bush in that movie in the theaters and I was yeah. like oh my gosh but you're so right it's, <laughs> she's it's so hot too yeah oh, she, Aurora, she's yeah she still has everything so that you would ever want TV no. <laughs> she's incredible you're right it's so offensive the whole rating thing is is a it's very sexist which i didn't realize but there's this great video of rebel wilson talking about how she because she's a lawyer <laughs> rebel wilson's uh, a lawyer what? yeah she, she's a lawyer she's a lawyer yeah, she was, yeah. she was a lawyer oh, before she became yeah. an actress and she, she went to court against like whoever the rating association is because when her and anne hathaway made that remake of dirty rotten scoundrels it got mm-hmm. an r rating for like vagina jokes. And then she went to court and was like anchor man that has like way more references to penises is PG 13. And so she basically was saying, and it's so true because we just comedy really normalizes penis and only the last few years has really started to normalize vagina, let alone vulva humor. Yeah. 
So yeah, like, well, and that's true of like male versus female orgasm stuff too. In, yes, in yeah. Scenes, like it's an automatic R if you show female pleasure in that way. Yeah. Well, were they yeah. trying to give like when Harry met Sally an R rating because of that, well, that fake orgasm scene? Doesn't it have an R rating? Oh my gosh. Let's look this up. It's rated R. It's rated R. Oh it my is God. Oh, that's wow. why it's rated R. That's, yeah. that's insane. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh. But yes, of course, of course there's sexism inherent in all that. Yes. And it's nice. That, and Rebel Wilson won. She went and made her case and then her movie got to be PG-13. Cause they and were she like, said to celebrate, I'm going to be in cats. <laughs> cats. Oh my gosh. I think this would be a good time to maybe transition into our next segment where we count up all the tropes we saw in this ro- romantic oh. comedy slash Goody. drama slash ordinary people. Tropes and gobes. Oh, wait, before we do that, I'm so sorry yeah. to interrupt and ruin no, your please, show. Please. Um, the score for this movie was done <gasps> by Michael Giacchino, who listeners may know from half of the movies have been scored in the last like 15 <laughs> years but at this time his major credits were he was doing lost his first film ever which came out just months before this also starring craig t nelson he did the score to the incredibles and oh my he gosh. did the score to up which everyone knows from the first five minutes of up oh my gosh but it is so funny to hear like his um some of his like signature harmonics and even the way he uses strings and stuff at the end when it's uh, Claire Danes and Everett uh, <laughs> kind of like chasing after each other, but not really with the buzz, like that weird blocking of that scene into here. And it sounded like the end of a lost episode to me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It sounded like that, but it's so funny that like, yeah, he started out with like video games and a couple of TV shows, Alias Lost, and then really broke through with the Craig T. Nelson duo in 2005, Family Stone <laughs> and The Incredibles. The Incredibles is incredible. Well, and I like to listen to the rom-com soundtracks like while I'm like before the podcast while I'm like reading about them. And I was shocked because I just wanted to hear Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, but I clicked on the soundtrack that was just the score. And I was like, oh my God, this movie has its own score. And it's, own and it's good. It's really it's good. It's really good. It's really lovely. It's better than it should be. And you can tell he's like trying to flex to audition for bigger movies. Like when <laughs> it's just so insane sounding like in the opening credits, like how orchestrated it is for a movie that like maybe doesn't require that much. Like no. he's being a little extra, but that's because he wants to, you know, score Doctor Strange or whatever Marvel movie. Yeah. Yeah. That also reminds me in terms of the tonal shifts of this film. It's it's so crazy when it is this like family drama when Claire Danes gets there and falls off the bus. That oh shit. That's what I'm talking about. What is that this movie, so- guys? <laughs> Mia, Allie, what is this movie? He's going off the bus. Why? She's not. It's cl- so she- crazy. And all the reviews I read Dude. were like, "It's a classic screwball comedy," and I'm like, "What are you talking about?" No, it's, not. Know, it's like it's crazy because like Dermot Mulroney is like sobbing on his dying mother's shoulder in one scene, and then in the other scene, he's wrestling his brother under the kitchen table, and oh it's like. <laughs> God. To that song, that is the best Christmas climax. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I want to tell you how to do your show, but you should have that song playing underneath the entirety of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's nonstop. And see if listeners notice. Maybe they will. <laughs> 
super listeners are bots or not. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's so fun. Yeah. It's so the tonal shifts are crazy, but that's you guys. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying you got to watch it in 2020. You got to watch it five times and then, <laughs> and, then <laughs> and then you get it. So that's why I don't think it should be a mini series. Cause I think it's just the one time yeah. thing. It is a miniseries in the way you're telling people to watch it. If you do it yeah, five yeah. times, yeah, that's a 10-hour miniseries. Be 13 and see it in theaters. <laughs> be- <laughs> <laughs> and then skip 10 years. Okay. So with that being said, what kind of movie is this, right? That's the question. What is this movie? It's too many movies. Well, let's determine if it is, in fact, a Christmas rom-com. How do we do this? By listing off our favorite tropes in the genre that we saw in this movie and see if it sort of holds up as a Christmas movie. A Christmas rom-com. Um, Allie, do you want to kick us off? Oh, for sure. I saw so many tropes in this movie. Um, <laughs> I have um, Sarah Jessica Parker is that busy businesswoman who has no time for Christmas, <laughs> just time for business. Yeah. Um, I have uh, uh, so many meet cutes. I have the meet cute oh of the family meeting. Uh, oh my gosh, what's her name? I always say Sarah Jessica Parker. I want to say her Meredith Morton. Meredith. I was going to say just Morton, but that's um, a last name. name. Her name is Meredith. <laughs> Could you imagine if her Meredith. name Morton? <laughs> Morton. Um, uh, so there's that meet cute, but then I have two other meet cutes of, and both of them are our favorite kind of meet cutes, which is woman slowly walking downstairs. So <laughs> we have um, Dermot Mulroney meets Claire Dane's character when she's slowly walking down the bus's stairs. Um, mm-hmm. There's like beautiful soft music playing under her. And then Luke Wilson meets Sarah Jessica Parker's character when she's again slowly walking down a staircase. Um, Mm. I have woman takes her hair down and is suddenly easygoing. Um, It's kind of like the... Wait, when did that happen? Taking glasses off. Um, After the bar, I think. After they go to O'Malley's. When they're in the car, Mm -hmm. is her hair down? It's definitely down the next morning. And it's definitely down when they're like cuddling in bed. Well, both her and Everett are psycho for keeping their business casual on like the whole. It's just (laughs) take your shoes off. You're at home. Wear a sweatshirt. (laughs) Then whenever it wears a sweatshirt at the end, I'm like, that's not totally correct for him. Yeah, this is a hoodie and a business jacket. I'm like, oh, gross. (laughs) I have. um, Claire Danes is klutzy. She falls yes. down uh, the stairs, the bus stairs in a very dramatic way. Um, and then I have all the women falling down. Like she just wouldn't be okay if you fell from that height. No, she would, would not be. She, she would, be, she would be in the hospital. That's how we should have met the Mark Brandanowitz, the Paul Schneider uh, yes. character. Oh, that's such a good punch up. That's such a good punch up. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I have uh, tending to your crush's wound. Uh, Dermot yes. Mulroney gets an ice pack for Claire Danes to tend to her wound. Have y'all I have done watching that? a rom com in a rom com. <laughs> mm-hmm. They meet. Meet me they watch uh, that one character watches that one sister. We haven't even said her name. She watches Meet Me in St. Louis by right. herself. Mm-hmm. I had disapproving in-laws, um, which obviously that's like pretty severe in this movie. 
I had um, the leads. The leads are both straight and they're both white, which are tropes we don't love of the genre, but that they are changing. Um, but I, I do think this is ninety nine percent of the movies you talk about on this podcast are right? all. Yeah, it's like when you look, it's it's so painful. I did think yeah. I did think this movie like did have like um, better representation, but it's still it's still only in, in inside characters, and so that's obviously just like something we don't we don't like how like white centered the genre is. Well, and and this isn't racial, but I do. I thought that the hearing stuff. I mean, there was yeah. the stupid like he sh- Meredith is yelling at him jokes, but overall, like yeah. the way everyone was casually signing throughout the movie, I was like, this is cool. <laughs> this is yeah. like an awesome way to act too, and just like how uh, lived in it felt. Yeah, um, I, I I loved it. I thought that was yeah, like also just not making it a, a big deal in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I agree. The one thing I would I would take out is the Meredith jokes because it's like. Yeah. It's a little bit like, oh, isn't it funny? She's offensive. And it's like, eh, no. Um, yeah. Destiny is mentioned by Luke Wilson and the daughter, Elizabeth, which is in rom-com. People will often just talk about Destiny. What did um, they say about Destiny? I don't even remember this. It, uh, I think it was like, for some reason, it's like there. He's sitting with Elizabeth and he's like, Destiny. It was destiny, and she goes destiny. I think it might be when she's talking about the meat cute in Hong Kong, maybe or Kowloon. Oh, okay. oh, you're right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Is that when they yeah. say it? Yeah. yeah. I, I also have chill guy teaches uptight woman to relax, which mm-hmm. is yes, yes. Um, let's see. Oh, we had a slap. She slaps Luke Wilson. <laughs> Real yeah. hard. Hey, <laughs> like the same television show. The same name. The slap. The slap. And then, <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys, I have a new trope. Okay, we could broaden it out, but it's a specific Dermot Mulroney trope. Oh Dermot my God, yes. Mulroney gets Side an part. engagement ring stuck on not his fiance. It happens <laughs> in the family stone and it happens in my best friend's wedding. Really? Oh my gosh, yes. Oh, man. Yeah. He, he gets it. stuck on Julie Roberts' finger and he has to take it off with his teeth. Um, but that's uh, hot, actually. It's, it is. It is hot. It's not hot in this movie. <laughs> no, I do. Let go, try it on. Try the ring. What are you doing? No, I also do Whoa. love that Claire Danes is like crying during that scene. I think that's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> like, why is she crying? She's like, I'm not crying. It's like that feels fun to me. This is sad, and I I don't think it's tropey because it's like a center point of the movie, but it is a hallmark of rom coms. No pun intended. Um, the dead parent trope, which is that mm-hmm. um. Someone has like a dead parent and that gives the character depth. Um, last but not least, I have an ending fake out with Julie. And I think it did feel particularly bad in this rom-com where she's like, I can't, I have to get on the bus. And then she stops the bus and she's like, what about New Year's? Oh my gosh. Can I quick say something really about that ending fake out? There was Absolutely. a bit of dialogue that I had to write down because it was the most insane dialogue I've ever heard. And it was, so she gets off the bus and she goes, Everett. And then he goes, Julie. And then she goes, Everett. And then he goes, Julie. That was written in a script. Somebody wrote Everett Julie, Everett Julie in a script, and nobody said anything about it. Chuck Bazinga Uh, took a lean back on his chair and said, I did it again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Um, Yeah, yeah, that was so bad. Yeah, I agree. That scene scene was almost as cringy as the dinner table scene. Oh, we don't even get to talk about the dinner table scene, damn it. But that's the most painful scene in rom com history, maybe. Um, but, um, I have a grand gesture is when, um, uh, Morton, 
Meredith Morton gives the um, photograph of Sybil to everybody is kind of like her big grand gesture. And then I also have big public breakup scene where they break Mm -hmm. up in front of their family in front of the Christmas tree on Christmas morning. And um, probably the worst slash like juiciest breakup we've seen so far. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. The best. I actually love it's so it's so like stupid, but I love when she's like, No, I will not marry you. And he's like, I wasn't proposing to you. And then she's like, I slept with your brother. And he's like, No, we didn't. And she's like, Doesn't anybody love me? Like it it's so dumb, but I love it. <laughs> like she's pissed off that she didn't accidentally sleep with her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a, it works for me. You knew they didn't sleep together from the jump. I was like, no way. This is a wacky misunderstanding. Yeah. Because of the farcical nature this movie slips into sometimes. (laughs) The classic screwball rom-com that it is. Yeah, that's right. Um, I also love when the dad opens the door and she just hides from him emotionally. Mm -hmm. She just like screams up her face and won't look at him. Mm -hmm. It's so bad. It's great. Can I pitch one, one more trope? Please. Okay, this one, we've already talked about it a little bit, but it's falling in love with your... uh, partner's sibling so because this is like we see this in while you were sleeping 100 percent. we see this in 27 dresses absolutely um and we also see this in your sister's sister you know what else we see this in maybe most you know maybe this actually started it truthfully little women (gasps) and and you also see it in sabrina as well the teenage witch? No, Sabrina, oh, the oh, Humphrey yes, yes, yes. Bogart, um, Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a trope. Kevin, do you have any tropes that we missed by chance? Oh, no. I mean, we got it with the... I think... I think... Uh, I don't know. Is falling down and laughing a trope in the kitchen? Is that oh. a trope? I don't know. I, I accept if it's not. Yeah. It feels like I, I've seen that on the poster of a lot of different sort of rom-com movies. Like... Look at this you know family. What? I do think it's like the big physical anger thing that turns into laughter, right? It's like how you break through the tension, right? When yeah. they like are so yeah. angry and upset and then they are laugh, and then everyone's just laughing because of how absurd it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do think that's a trope. I'm trying to think of where we see that. And then whatever, like, I mean, this is way too broad for it to actually be a trope, but just wacky farcical misunderstandings feel like such no, a... That's true. Oh, yeah. A easily such a pillar of rom-coms. Yeah, easily resolvable misunderstanding is like if um, Luke Wilson the second he came out of the shower said, "Don't worry, we didn't smash. I was on the floor." And then yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would be. Or if like, or if like the sister immediately was like, "Meredith, I tried on your wedding ring because he wanted to see what it would look like on a hand." Even though mm-hmm. that's still hard to, it's hard, but you, yeah, you yeah. could address it. Um, or if the mom, if like up front, the family could have a conversation about dealing with grief. It's okay. Oh, I'm no. dying. Just something about me. <laughs> yeah. About me. <laughs> oh God. Can um, I, can I tell you for real though? I, I also got this movie, I think just given the, I mean, this is a more specific title than a lot of rom-com movies where it's like, these are all interchangeable enough said something's got to give as good yes. as it did. Um, what, what's the, what's the Mandy Moore one I'm thinking of? Something borrowed? No, 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 no. Um, no I know what you're talking about. It's it's because I said a walk to remember. 
No, oh, I mean, I would never forget that title, but uh, it's the <laughs> Not one. Because I said so. It is because I said so. Yes, I get this movie, and because I said so, mixed up. I think because of the Keaton of it all. Yes, mm. this movie has twenty-two rom-com tropes, which makes wow. it a congrats. congrats to everyone on board. Gracious. Also, the, I will say the title of this movie just by itself kind of drove me nuts because <laughs> their their last name is Stone. But all the drama is centered on a ring, which is a stone. So it's a pun, but it's not a if they were just called like the Johnsons and then there was a ring, it would make as much sense. It might even be more. But it's like the family. It's like a hat on a hat, right? Yeah. (laughs) And and in terms of the layers of which obviously like this sleuth figures out what this movie is about. Only upon this watching did I realize their last name was Stone. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't know their last name was Stone, so that um, that gives the title more credibility. Okay, can I also just say, I just want to circle back to like a very, very early on in this. Um, Kevin, you, I liked your interpretation of the title, which is that Luke Wilson's character is the rock of the family. And I choose to interpret the title as more like a, a nod to him as the family stone. And he, you know, that makes him kind okay. of like the titular character, if, if we shall. This, this movie then should have been called Ben. It was the exact same movie, but it was just called Ben. And I was like, what is this movie? It's like, you're going to find out. I think it's time for us to rate this rom-com. So we here at PS I Love Rom-Coms have an ever-changing list of top five rom-coms. The list started off with the top five highest grossing rom-coms, but over the last couple of months, as we've watched more and more films, we have voted in and voted off many a rom-com. And as of now, here are our top five rom-coms. We have The Best Man, When Harry Met Sally, Love and Basketball, Dirty Dancing, and My Big Fat Greek Wedding. So if we choose, we can put the family stone on that list, but we have to unanimously agree to vote off one of those other top five to replace it with. So what do we think? Do we think that the family stone deserves a spot on the top five list? I wish I could speak to this more because I've not seen the best man and I've not seen love and basketball, which, mm-hmm. uh oh, what's the commonality with those two movies? And why <laughs> seen That's not good. I really want to see love and basketball. I think, I I, I want to. Uh, that's the director that also did Beyond the Lights. That movie. That's probably uh, a Gina Prince Bythewood. Yes. 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 So she did Beyond the Lights, and I heard awesome things about that. So I want to watch those movies, but oh, I I, I, I can't speak to those. I don't know if Family Stone is better than When Harry Met Sally. I'm gonna say <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, Mia, where are you falling on this list? Yeah, I agree. Um, No, I don't think The Family Stone beats any of these movies because, again, I think of The Family Stone as a hot mess mistake that, like, teenage Lucia <laughs> is to figure out upon each watching. Don't remake it. Don't do anything. Do it. Leave it as it is. But, no, all the movies we have are not mistakes. They are well-crafted, well-oiled rom-com machines. So, no, I don't think it touches it. Very I think it well-oiled. goes on... <laughs> oh my gosh yeah these are these are like there's these aren't messing around the family stone is is just the definition of messing around yes. um but i think it does go on we're, we're so we're we're uh, curating our top five christmas rom-coms based on what we've watched and right now i think it stands at love actually 
then the Christmas Prince. Oh no, Love Actually, Serendipity. Then a Christmas Prince. So I think the Family Stone goes in between Love Actually and Serendipity, or between Serendipity and a Christmas Prince, in terms of if we're ranking it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's better than all of those. <gasps> That's so interesting. Wow. Love Actually, oh I have God. no love for, unfortunately. I, I, you think the Family Stone is better written than Serendipity? Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. If my memory oh, serves I love me correct, You know what I remember about Serendipity? <gasps> Roger Ebert gave it one and a half stars. <laughs> and he gave Family Stone three. Three. Yeah. I just see that. He hates rom-coms. He's very mean he to hates rom-coms. rom-coms. Yeah, he's, you know, he's interesting, obviously. Yeah. Rest in power uh, to a real one. Yeah. But, but no, I think... Uh, <laughs> I think this movie makes me feel way less disgusto than love actually does. I think <laughs> there's no one professing their, well, actually there is, actually there is, there's a common thread of someone professing their love to a person in another relationship, not a married yeah. person though, that Kira Knightley said all of the, the, the power dynamics and the consent yes. stuff and the Highly creepy problematic film. It's a creepy. Right. I mean, everyone, everyone re- like recirculates the, the great Lindy West essay that she wrote however many years ago now, like seven or eight years ago about like love actually is actually bad. But even beyond all the like nitpicky PC stuff, which sounds like I'm against PC culture. I'm not, by the way. No, no. (laughs) But you know, just beyond all that, I don't know how. That movie for me, the high point of that is Emma Thompson crying to Joni Mitchell. I don't need anything. Oh my God, that's too. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's my favorite scene. I could watch her. I could watch her cry forever. And it's like, there's so much, I mean, her like resting her hands on her bed and and like she's about to go in the room with her children again and she gets a second wave of tears, but she like holds it together for her kids. When she's pressing the tears into her face, you know, she's pressing <gasps> on her sinuses. She's, she's on, willing no. to, oh my gosh. Good um, yeah, agree. Um, I would say that Love Actually harder to watch in 2020, where Family Stone's easier to watch in 2020. But yeah, oh, and, and Love Actually, you have to mm. ignore all the problematic stuff. But which I do because I did see it when I was a kid, and it's there's a great reductress headline recently that was like, "Is this movie good or did, is this movie a classic or did you just see it when you were a kid?" And it is hard yeah. to undo that. Okay, so oh, Allie, you mean I think the, the concept of nostalgia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where it's like, I think, it, yeah, it's harder to like give up on a movie that you loved when you were younger. Oh, sure. Then people yeah. see it in present day and it's bad and, and you're like, but I loved it. But um, yeah, but yeah I, but I totally agree. But I still love it, actually. But Allie, I think you're the tiebreaker. Here's what I'll say. I'm just going to circle back around to, um, you know, this is a Christmas rom-com. So um, we want it to be about Christmas. And I think, oh, man. I think Love Actually has a little bit... I think I like Family Stone better than Love Actually. And I like Serendipity better than both of them. (gasps) But um, I would say that um, I think Love Actually is, again, more about Christmas. I think in the Family Stone, there's like too much going on with like the sister and brother swapping for there to be a good focus on Christmas. Like there is... A little bit at the end, like Rachel McAdams like puts, you know, ornaments on the tree and there is a big breakup scene in front of the Christmas tree. But like love actually is all about the Christmas, like there's Christmas shopping, there's Christmas pageants, there's Christmas caroling. So I'm going to say in terms of a Christmas rom-com, it's going to for me, that's going to be love. Actually, the family stone serendipity, a Christmas prince. (laughs) 
Uh, Christmas Prince. You know, this podcast is going to set me on a rom-com tear now. My letter. Yeah, good. So thank that's you. what we want. That's your, that's your service that you do for the community. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I can't believe. Wow. We, start, we started at the beginning, right? A little maybe hot and cold to them where you were like, I'm not sure if I like them. I probably do. Yeah, not, I mean, not hot and cold because I'm not cold to them, but I'm not as hot as I want to be. I'm like a lukewarm, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and it's a, combo, it's a combo of things. But I think because the genre is so expansive that I feel like a lot, what a lot of people discover once we really get into it is that it's like, oh, there are rom-coms I like. I just maybe didn't consider them rom-coms or because of the different tiers. I, yeah, like the genre is confused. Like is, the genre is yeah. confusing. Well, mm-hmm. I, and I feel like, I don't know, like if I went by recommendation from friends on this i would have never watched this movie so now i'm like <laughs> is, is everyone's barometer kind of broken with this stuff i mean i'm a sap too so maybe that's a part of it I, th- so. I think it's 2020 i think go back to those friends and say wait when was the last time you watched it watch it now <laughs> and, unless they did what we watched it recently and then i can't yeah. help them well now i think it's time for our final segment which we did get into a bit already but now we can sort of mm-hmm. you know solidify this it's time for reality check in this segment we test out the tropes and plot devices in the rom-coms we've just watched and see if they hold up in the real world this week we wanted to look at the rom-com plot device of falling for the sibling this is a device that we see a lot in rom-coms while you were sleeping 27 dresses your sister's sister but is this something that any of us have witnessed happening in real life or have we ever fallen for the other brother hmm. i've witnessed it in real life i remember when i was a kid the, um there was there was this family that truly in retrospect i'm like that was those were the march girls there were four of them there was a matriarch <laughs> out of relationship with, i'm like i was Lori, but not in the sense of like swapping affection <gasps> or anything. but i the, there was one relationship where it seemed like uh, this guy and this sister were going to be together. Then they, then they broke up and then he got together with her other sister. So <gasps> I have seen that in the real world. Oh my gosh. Was there, was there beef amongst the sisters? Do you know? Or were you just like, I was too on young the outside to be able to observe. In? Yeah. I think I was a little too on the outside. They didn't really confide uh, yeah. that in me at the time. I had like a pattern for a while. I think I've done this three times. So it's a pattern um, where I've dated like one person and then I've, you know, the relationship is ended and then I date their friend and it's not a good pattern. It's really not, but I have done it three times and I think, you know, never as successfully as, um, your friend, Kevin, but like, um, uh, I think it's, it's along the lines of like what you, you, you are attracted to a certain like kind of person and like the people that they're attracted to, like, are also good people yeah, and like you're sense. like oh and that's who you know all you know yeah. is all you know you know yeah yeah i know <laughs> comedy community stuff or like religious community stuff where it's like that's if there's like a central hub by which everyone knows each other from, yeah yeah it's almost bound to happen yeah agree yeah okay well reality checks out it just not as check. dramatically as in these films no yeah, the the literal like brother brother sister sister switch is uh, <laughs> very very um very rare. intense, very rare, very rare. Yeah. Okay, well, that is our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kevin. Oh, my pleasure. What a thrill and an honor to be on this oh show. This was oh such a, what a wonderful time. I could have done it for two more hours. <laughs> <laughs> but no more. No. Uh, 
Yeah. No more. <laughs> uh, now, do you have any social media things to promote or important romance advice for our listeners? Ooh. Okay. Yeah. My my advice is always over communicate. Always oh. over communicate more than you think you should. If the people in this movie had over communicated, they could have avoided a lot of grief and pain. And I think that's true of us in our life sometimes too. When we think we're avoiding pain in the moment, it becomes more pain and grief later. Just rip the bandaid off in the moment and it'll save you tears down the road. And then Agreed. you can call me at Kevin T. Porter. <laughs> 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 On Letterboxd where I'll be logging this, this movie very positively. And me and Allie are, are soon to join me there, I think. I think I've yes. convinced them. Oh yeah, I will. Goodreads has been so fun, uh, but yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I'll get on the letterbox train. And then you can see what other people said about the Family Stone. It makes all your <gasps> enjoyment and other movies that you're getting into like, oh, they feel ever present because you feel that communal energy of like, what did this person say? What did she say about it? What did my friends say about it? It's great. Ooh, okay, I'm gonna get into it. Oh, we should, and that'd be so nice for the rom coms, Allie, to see like yeah. Yeah. plenty well, of rom com yeah. lists on Letterbox that you can peruse and like see how oh, people. Are ranking them and grouping them together. On that note, thank you all for listening to the podcast. We have a new episode out every week. And remember to subscribe and rate. We are brought to you by Campfire Media. And P.S. I love rom-coms. I love rom-coms. And I love rom-coms. Ever wanted to hear from the neighbor at 9 Cloverfield Lane? Or what if I told you that Dr. Loomis's worst patient wasn't Michael Myers? I'm Adam Peacock, host of the podcast My Neighbors Are Dead. Join me each week as I talk to the lesser-known characters from your favorite horror films. Each week is an all-new, fully improvised journey into the unknown featuring friends and luminaries from the worlds of comedy, horror, and beyond. New episodes every Tuesday on Campfire Media. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Campfire.